going to ask you to begin our time together in God's Word. You'll turn back to the book of Philippians, the Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let me read to you verses 12 and 13. Where it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As Christians, it is important that we know how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. And thankfully, God has not left us in the dark, but has revealed to us in Scripture how we are supposed to live as followers of Christ. And that's what we're talking about here in verse 12 and in verse 13, where Paul says we are to work out our salvation. In theological terms, we are talking about the subject of sanctification. That is, until a person is saved and becomes a Christian, the Bible teaches that he or she is a slave to the power of sin. But that when the, that person hears the gospel and is quickened by the Holy Spirit, leading to their repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that when that happens, that person is immediately set apart by God positionally. And they are set free from the power of sin that had been ruling and reigning in their life. That is, sin for the believer loses its legal right over them. As we sing in some of our songs, it is true that the chains of sin fall off when you get saved. And you are set free. In fact, just to remind you of this, if you take a moment and go over to the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 6, and just listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, that's in the past tense, he's talking to believers, he says, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now... Having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Because as he goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You were a slave of sin, and when you put your faith in Christ and you were genuinely saved and born again, as he says here, you were a slave of sin, you have been set free, and now you're a slave unto God and unto righteousness. 
However, the Bible also teaches that even as a believer, sin is still present in our life. Thus, one must continually and progressively keep putting to death sin in their life. That's why God's Word describes the Christian life as a walk. It is something you do daily. It's something you do step by step. It is something you're putting, continuing to put off sin that is still present in your life. As we just read there a moment ago, he's calling on us as believers not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies, nor to use the members as instruments of unrighteousness. But instead, we're to use them for righteousness. We go again from a slave of unrighteousness to a slave of righteousness. So in reality, beloved, for us as believers, as someone who is saved and who's been born again, a true Christian, understand the penalty of your sins has been paid for in full by Christ on the cross. And the power of sin that had a hold on you has been broken in your life. Thus, you have forgiveness for your sins and you have freedom from your sins. This is who you are now in Christ, a forgiven, freed person that is now free to work out your salvation. Peter describes it in this way in 1 Peter 2.2. He says, grow up into salvation. Or as he says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because when you are saved, when a person is saved, that person now is born again. And think about being born again. It means this person is also a babe in Christ. They are a babe in Christ. Thus, they need to grow. They need to mature in becoming more like Christ. As it is in our physical life, it is also true in our spiritual life. That is, we are to grow and to mature. And that growth and maturity doesn't happen overnight. We don't grow and mature overnight physically or emotionally or socially and mentally or any of those kinds of ways. We grow over time. And it's the same thing, beloved, in our spiritual life and our spiritual walk with the Lord. It takes time, but we are to grow. We are to mature in Christ. There is an expectation in Scripture that if you are a born-again believer, you will be growing in Christ. Now, we don't all grow at the same rate, at the same uh, level in that sense, and we can struggle at times. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he, he, he reminds them that he wanted to speak some more things to them and write some more things to them of solid food, the things that they needed, but they couldn't handle it and he knew they couldn't and all he could give them was milk. 
We've seen that with babies, that little babies, all they can handle is milk. And you try to give them solid food, and they just can't handle that. And these were people, beloved, that the Apostle Paul had spent time with, and they should have been maturing more in the faith. But he says, I can't give you solid teaching that is deeper things of the Word of God and the understanding of the mysteries of the things that God was revealing to him because they were still infants in Christ. In fact, if you will, just to see this for a moment, go over to the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 5 for a moment. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews 5, it addresses it, the writer of Hebrews addresses it much the same way in the same language that Paul does in 1 Corinthians. Pick it up with me in verse 11. Hebrews 5.11, he says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. If this we will do, if God permits. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that the mature are those who are practicing what it is that they are learning and they're being trained by it. This is what we're called to do, and this is what Paul is speaking about back in our text in Philippians chapter 2 when he's saying, work out your salvation. Remember, he's talking to believers. These are truly born-again people. Okay? He's not, again, he's not telling them, go work for your salvation and hope by the end of the day, by the end of your life, somehow God's going to accept you. No, Paul also taught in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not of yourselves. This is a gift of God. It's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Paul is speaking to truly born-again believers that he describes in Philippians chapter 1 as saints, as people who are participating in the gospel. But he's saying as born-again believers that they need to keep working out now the salvation that God had provided them. So let's go back to that in Philippians 2. And let's see what... First off, let's just look for a moment at three characteristics of working out your salvation just from the, the word itself. The word itself. When he says there in verse 12 of Philippians 2, work out your salvation. The first thing I want you to understand from that word to work out is it means you have to be intense. You have to be intense. To work out means to give great effort. It means to have great commitment. It means to work towards completion. 
Now, our goal is Christ-likeness. Our goal is godliness. Our goal is holiness. And this is what you are, you have an intensity in working this out. That is, you know that you were saved for this purpose of becoming like Christ. And you know that's the plan for God in your life. You know that's the ultimate victory that you will have. And so you are pressing on. That's the way he's going to describe it in chapter 3. Pressing on towards that upward call for which I was called by God. Pressing on towards it. It requires a commitment to it. It requires effort. But secondly, when you think about this working out your salvation, it's not just intense, it's also indefinite. And by that is, he gives that word there in the present tense. And in the present tense of the Greek language means this is something you are to continually just keep on doing. You're never going to arrive. That is, you're never going to get to the place where in your life you can say, okay, I now no longer struggle with sin. I have put sin completely to death in my life. It has been completely removed in this life. I am done with sin. I don't have the worry of sin. I don't have a struggle with sin anymore. No, beloved, as long as you are in this life, you are going to have this working out of your salvation. In fact, remember what Paul said back in chapter 1 where he says, speaking about God, that God began a good work in you and he will perfect it until the day of Christ, which means God's going to be the one still working in you until that day. And that is till the day of Christ. And the day of Christ, he's speaking there about when we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So if God's still working, that means we have a responsibility to keep on keeping on working out our salvation. It will be a lifelong war, a lifelong fight. And I use those words because that is what it is. You go over the book of Galatians, what are we told? We're told that we have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is there to produce in us Christ-likeness, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. But it also says we have an enemy and the enemy is our flesh and they wage war with each other. There's a war that goes on there. So when you think about working out your salvation, it has to be intense, it's indefinite, and thirdly, as we mentioned last time, it is individual. And here's what I mean by that. He says, work out your own salvation. You have the responsibility to work out your salvation. I have a responsibility to work out my salvation. We all have a responsibility to be concerned about one another and care for one another and how we're working out our salvation. But ultimately, beloved, no one else in this room is responsible for your working out your salvation, your sanctification, than you. You are the one responsible for this. When I say individual, I'm not saying it's to be done by yourself because it's not. It's to be done with the help of as we talked about last Sunday together, that God has given you the scriptures and he's given you the the songs that we sing, but he's also given you the saints to come alongside of you. And we, we read through this list, this long list of the one another's. And all those one another's take place in the body of Christ. They take place among brothers and sisters in Christ, loving one another, encouraging one another, uh, caring for one another, praying for one another, confessing to one another, admonishing one another. All these one another's that are in Scripture. But still, ultimately, 
Though you will be involved in my life, ultimately I am responsible. When it comes to that judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ, and I have to stand before Christ as a believer and give an account for my life, I'm not going to be able to turn to anyone else. It's just going to be me and the Lord. And he's just going to be able to show me my life and show me what I did with my life, especially since I became a follower of Jesus Christ. So understand this working out of your salvation, it is intense, indefinite, and it is individual. So how are we to do this? How am I supposed to work out my salvation? Well, let me first share with you how you're not supposed to do it. And I think we need these to understand this. And I need you to listen carefully when we walk through this. First off, it is not through what I call altar call, rededication, sanctuary, sanctification. And what I mean by that is this, is that if all a person does, if all they ever do is come to pray and to give it to God, or if all they ever do is come to a pastor for, for prayer, or if all they ever do is that you stay in your pew and during our response time you, you're just praying and, and giving it over to God, if that's all a person ever does, beloved, that is not enough for what God is calling on us to do to work out our salvation. That's that old teaching that goes, just let go and let God. Like, I don't have to do anything. I just have to just, Lord, confess it before you, offer it up to you, and you just take it away from me. I'm just going to let go of it, God, and you just take it and do it. But that's not working out your salvation. And that's why I believe... Sadly, far too often in too many churches, there's still a lot of spiritual immaturity because that's really all that has gone on. Secondly, it is not through what is called gospel, free grace, sanctification as well. These are those who will take it one more step. They'll understand that it's not just giving it over to God, but you also need to be uh, fervently just contemplating uh, about your salvation, thinking about your justification in Christ alone. Just one of the things they'll say is just keep telling yourself the gospel every day. Just tell yourself, talk to yourself, tell yourself, remind yourself of the cross and about Jesus and, and the salvation and what it is he has provided for you. And it's not that that's not a good thing. Just like it's not that it's, it's not a good thing for someone to come and confess their sins or for a pastor or some other believer to, to pray with someone and to encourage them and for them to give it to the Lord. It's not wrong for someone to be thinking about their salvation and the gospel and about Jesus. All those things are good things and right things to do. But what I'm saying is that's not enough. That's not working out your salvation. It's more than that. But then there are some that go to the other extreme. I call it the rule-keeping, the record-keeping sanctification. Legalism sanctification. And that is, it's easy to set up maybe some certain standards, some certain rules, some certain ways that you're going to do something or not do something. 
And as long as you can check off the box that you did these certain things, then you can walk away and say, I'm growing in the Lord. I'm maturing in the Lord. But yet, someone could do all of those things and never really be addressing sin that's deep down in their heart. See, God, as we're going to see when we go back in the weeks ahead and look back at Philippians 